Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northern Wind Fantasy Podcast. We are the Three Rivers Boys. I'm Zach. I'm Jake. And Steve is with us in spirit. You got to come up with something different to say besides with us in spirit. Why? It's tradition now. I feel like people think we're dead. (laughs) Please follow us on Twitter. We're at Three Rivers Boys. That's three spelled out. In this episode, we'll be discussing the season one finale of HBO's House of the Dragon. This one's called The Black Queen. We'll start off with a rating for the episode, discuss the themes, and finally go through all the important plot details so you don't forget anything cool that happened. Full spoiler alert for all of season one at this point. Uh, We'll hold off on book spoilers for now. Maybe we'll do a whole episode of book spoilers at some point in the future, but none in this one. So let's get in on it. What do we what do we think here, bro? There is really strong themes in this episode that I really liked. Parts of it were really high for me. And then I was a little bored with some of it. So I'm somewhere. Some of it was kind of slow. I agree. I'm somewhere around like seven and a half. I gave it an eight, which is pretty low, actually, for 7. me. 7.85. I'm the same way. Like, the the highs in this episode were really high. They did a lot of things, like, really fucking cool, but uh, there were also some pretty slow moments. Yeah, when, when I think about the cool parts, that seems way too low of a score, but that's kind of how I feel. I, maybe it should be higher than that. I really enjoyed it. It was a great episode. I kind of wanted to give it an 8.5, but I've given, like, the last three episodes an 8.5, I feel like. <laughs> I don't like this one as much as I like the last one, I don't think. Or maybe I do. I don't know. I guess that means the quality is just consistent. So uh, the theme for today, I thought, was loss and grief. We saw a lot of characters dealing with these emotions in this episode. Rhaenyra and Damon, of course, losing Viserys, their father and brother, respectively. And then also Rhaenyra dealing with the loss of several children. Two kids in one episode. Yeah, it's a pretty rough episode for Rhaenyra, but she, uh, the way she responds to these events is going to be her kind of defining moment. Yeah, the gloves are off by the end of this episode, huh? For sure, yeah, definitely. We see her being very diplomatic and queenly for basically the entire length of the episode, and maybe that's why it comes across as boring, but I do think that's good character building for her. All right, getting right into the plot. Uh, we start off this episode. This the whole thing is about the blacks. As like last episode was all green action. This time we get the blacks. So especially Rhaenyra. This is like a Rhaenyra central episode if I've mm-hmm. ever seen one. So we open with her and Luke at Dragonstone, and we get some tender mother-son time while she's kind of encouraging him to overcome his doubts and fears about being in charge. This is yeah. the kind of tender moment that lets you know for sure that a character is about to die. <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, this, this kid lacks a lot of confidence. He He's pretty hard on himself. It's kind of endearing. It is. So then Rainey's arrives on Dragonstone We uh, from where she left King's Landing at the end of last episode. She flies straight to Dragonstone, assumingly. And she, of course, brings the news that Viserys has died and Aegon has been crowned Aegon the second, second of his name. Rainey's is great, huh? She's really, like, growing on me. Yeah, I like her a lot. She's pretty badass. 
the way she just walks in here and she's just like very formidable in all of her scenes she has she a very is, like yeah. imposing presence she would have been a good queen huh the queen who never was yeah and this bad news kind of causes a premature birth it seems like yeah the double whammy of her dad being dead and her claim being ignored completely just kind of puts her into shock and she goes into labor like a month ahead of schedule not good and Damon immediately assumes that uh, Allison murdered Viserys. So he's like right a fucking kill from the get go here. <laughs> Damon also like seems really over his wife be having a hard labor. He's like, oh, this again. I don't think he's over it like that. I think he's just like so fucked up from the last one that he's trying to kind of block it out. He is such a prick this whole episode. That's the way he is whenever like something bad happens for him. He just lashes out. He's not a, a fun guy. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of like him in past episodes, but this one, I don't have really anything redeemable about him. <laughs> That's what makes him such a good character is he does have those highs and lows where you can really like him in one scene and then the next one you're like, you fucking Damon, what the fuck, dude? Yeah, that's kind of how Jamie was, I guess. It wasn't as back and forth for Jamie. It was more of like a gradual progression from I hate this dude to I love this dude. So we find out why Rainey's didn't just kill everyone. She says she didn't want to be the one to start the war. It's not her job. So she just flew off. And she's also, even though she brought this news to Rhaenyra and it's like a big favor for her, Rhaenys is not ready to swear fealty to Rhaenyra yet at this point. She also doesn't really have the power to do that because... Corliss is still alive, yeah. And well, actually, and he's recovered for the most yeah. part. He's sailing towards Westeros. Towards Dragonstone. I don't think... Yeah, you're right. But I, I think at this point we don't know where he, like, who he's sailing to. He could be sailing to pledge his allegiance to the Greens in this moment, but he does show up like right after this. So Damon is planning his war with all of his lords, and at the same time, Rhaenyra is having this terrible time with her pregnancy. Yeah, she's a champ at this. She does it all by herself. <laughs> she like goes in the corner and pushes this baby out all on her own. Man, the noises during this were so terrible. <laughs> Yeah, they really love like, the like super wet squelching noises. This was a little heavy handed for me. This whole baby scene, they, they like showed the corpse, the body too many times. A little dead baby. Yeah, it was yeah, a little, like uh, it, it was. It felt gratuitous, and like you said, the sound and. I guess they want it to be as traumatic for us as it is for Rhaenyra, and this is the whole parallel they're trying to draw between. The wars that men fight and the battles that women fight in the birthing chambers. So, yeah, uh, we have this tragically stillborn baby. I was wondering if it would be scaly. That's the thing that happens in the books a lot. When Targaryens have stillborn kids, a lot of the times they're like dragon mutants, kind of. Like every once in a while, a Targaryen woman will give birth to like a malformed part human, part dragon child. I think that's a little too far out there for the show watchers. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been pretty crazy to see. <laughs> so it did while look that, misformed. Yeah, it did a little bit. It was hard to really tell because there was so much blood over it the whole time. But and this is a little baby girl, right? Right. It's her first daughter. Sad. First and only daughter. Yeah. So while that's happening, Damon is taking the two Kingsguard knights that they have on the island at the time, and he's forcing them to swear loyalty to Rhaenyra at Dragon Point. This was dumb too. 
Yeah. Dumb this whole episode. He's just like excessive the whole episode. This is just such a poor way to do this as a leader, you know, like even if these guys were loyal to you, you're almost giving them a reason to turn cloak later. I feel like. Yeah. Like threatening people like this doesn't do a lot to win them over to your side. It's just so unnecessary. He could be like, oh, we have a ship waiting for you. You guys can leave or you can stay. And then if they leave, he could just like smoke the ship once it's out in the bay. You know, (laughs) that would be pretty dirty, but definitely not something that Damon would be above by any means. Then we get our second infant funeral of season one. Rhaenyra's poor little stillborn baby girl is cremated in a traditional Targaryen style funeral. It's another reminder that, yes, Targaryens do, in fact, burn, if that's a thing that a lot of mis- a lot of people have that misconception from the main series that Targaryens are fireproof or something. That was kind of a special power for Daenerys, and most of them will, in fact, burn. This is also a cool parallel to the funeral we see for Viserys' son and Rhaenyra's brother very early in season one. I like all the parallels we see between Viserys and his daughter here. It's pretty cool. This, show she, she has, could, this episode has a lot of great callbacks to the rest of the season. Yeah. This is good writing. So as they're finishing the funeral, uh, Eric with an E Cargill shows up and he's got Viserys's crown even. So in the middle of this scene, that's a big callback to Viserys. We see the crown that Viserys wore placed on her head it's actually the crown of Jaehaerys the first that was the old king from episode one Viserys just also wore it why did they make another crown Surly was asking me and I couldn't really come up with a good reason because Aegon has Aegon the first crown the the conqueror's crown as it's called yeah I mean there's not really like a good reason I guess people just like like to have their own shit sometimes I guess fair enough like a lot of kings will take their own personal sigil instead of their house sigil or like the crowns or different personalized ornaments of office kind of just to put your own spin on things like Joffrey for instance had that like split down the middle sigil with the stag and the lion both and he wore that everywhere right so I think that's just like a personal taste for whoever the monarch is at the time but this is a big deal this this uh king's guardman going over this was aegon's personal bodyguard so this doesn't look good for aegon you know why would his personal bodyguard defect i'm sure that's gonna get some jaws wagging and then him bringing the crown gives her some sense of legitimacy that she desperately needs this is really the only symbol of office that she possesses right now yeah, we see that brought up a couple times in this episode where Aegon has, like, the name of the Conqueror, the crown of the Conqueror, the sword of the Conqueror. Like, he has all the signs of legitimacy for the people to see, and Rhaenyra just kind of has her word. I really like this scene, though, as uh, Eric Cargill presents the crown, Damon puts it on her head, and then everybody bends the knee before her, like, in her lowest moment. She gets kind of lifted up and reaffirmed everybody except Rainey's. yep she's conspicuously just standing in the back <laughs> not yet so then we get the black council as opposed to the green council that we saw last week this is a pretty important scene that kind of just sets the stage for 
where the blacks are right now in this conflict as like a strength check, I guess you want to call it or something like that. <laughs> so all the vassal houses of Dragonstone have sworn to Rhaenyra. That's like the Masseys and uh, the Celtigars and all those guys. Bar Aemon. Yeah. But it's not a lot of people compared to all the guys that are sworn to the Greens right now. Especially Dragonmont as a castle is super powerful, but they have almost no garrison there. Yeah. Like compared to the Reach that probably has 5,000 troops at all times there. There's only a couple of guys at Dragonmont. Dragonstone. I keep saying Dragonmont. <laughs> Dragonstone. I think this is probably a decent time to get into it. What did you think of the the great table lighting up? That was really cool. I loved it. I just don't know how they explain that everybody just forgot that it worked like that later on. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it broke or something at some point and they were able to just like salvage the top and not the bottom. Uh, I thought it was a little corny. It just seemed it unnecessary. Well, it certainly helps it read on camera better. I think that was probably their main thing here. Yeah, probably. As far as allies go, the Westerlands, the Crownlands, and the Reach are firmly for the Greens at this point. The Westerlands is controlled by the Lannisters, who are in on the Green Council. The Crownlands directly controlled by King's Landing and the Greens. And then the Reach, where House Hightower holds a lot of sway. So they're not really going to find any allies there. They have to turn to... Maybe the North, maybe the Riverlands, maybe the Vale, because Rhaenyra's mother was an Aaron, and maybe the Stormlands. I'll say that the Starks probably aren't going to be very much help here either way. They're so far up there, it takes so long for them to get their army together that this is going to happen a little faster than that. Yeah. If you're thinking where is Dorne fit into all of this, uh, just a reminder, Dorne is not part of the Seven Kingdoms yet. In this point of history, they're an independent state. Oh, so, I didn't realize this was that far back. You're right, huh? Yeah, so they're not going to be involved in the Dance of the Dragons really at all. All right, so then we take stock of the dragons here. This is the most important strategic resource in the war to come, obviously. So the blacks have more dragons than the greens, but as we see later, a lot of those dragons are very tiny snack-sized dragons that are not going to be a lot of use in a fight. So It's almost comical that this doesn't get mentioned like in this scene. They're not like, yeah, but I mean, like their dragons are a lot bigger than ours. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do have some pretty big ones. I mean, Melee's is big. Caraxes is big. Vagar is obviously the biggest one, but it's not like the blacks are totally outclassed. It's just that the ones that give them the numerical advantage are not really actually useful in combat. I guess they'd be useful. Like if you were sieging a castle, one of these little dragons would be pretty useful. That's true. Just I not mean, they're, useful they're useful. Against... They're not useful against other dragons. They're useful yeah. in roasting peasants alive <laughs> yeah still pretty good at that so damon's like we actually do have a lot of riderless dragons that are pretty combat effective if only we can find some people to ride them we have vermithor who was jaharis the first dragon there's silverwing who is his wife's dragon that was good queen alisane we got sea smoke who used to belong to lanor before he took off 
And then there's three wild dragons that have never had riders. And these guys all live on Dragonstone here. So if they can get riders for these guys, it's going to be great for the blacks. This was one of my favorite parts of the books was just like the... The search for dragon riders. The search for dragon <laughs> riders is so interesting. People just going up in the hills and trying to ride dragons. Yeah. We'll go into it more than that. But I'm sure we'll see some of that in season two. So yeah. like, let's not talk a lot about it. <laughs> and the other suggestion that Damon has is that they need some kind of stronghold on actual mainland Westeros, Westeros near King's Landing so they can launch their big attack. Once they're ready for it. So he thinks Heron Hall would be a great choice for that because it's pretty pretty close to King's Landing. And it's also like a huge fucking castle. So, yeah, this is probably uh, Damon's best idea this episode. And it's kind of unclaimed right now. The last people to run Heron Hall were the Strongs, who are, of course, mostly dead, except for Laris, who is not there. He's in King's Landing. So probably a pretty easy target, comparatively speaking. So then we get one of these great flashback scenes, right? Or callback scenes, I should say, uh, where the greens offer their terms to the blacks. We get a messenger runs in and says there's uh, a ship with a green dragon's banner. How about that, huh? (laughs) Yeah, so we're starting to see some altered heraldry here, a green dragon. In the books, we see Aegon takes on a gold Targaryen dragon on a black background because of his golden dragon sunfire. So keep an eye out for that sigil as well on top of the green dragon. So then on this big walkway that we've been seeing since Game of Thrones, honestly, there's a couple of pretty memorable scenes on this. Yeah, this is basically like dragon flyover zone here. This is yeah. where anytime you want to have a dramatic dragon flyover, this is uh, where, but where this you is come the to exact place that earlier in the season... Damon on Otto have the same interaction. Another standoff, yeah. And Rhaenyra comes in and lands her dragon in the same way, and it's really a powerful moment, huh? Man, Damon really wants to fuck over Otto Hightower, right? Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna carve out your fucking tongue and stuff it up your ass or something like that. <laughs> yeah, bring me that guy. So, I think the Greens offer pretty good terms here, like... Can you actually take their word for it? I don't know. Otto did say in the small council meeting last episode that he would spare them if they bent the knees. So I think this is a legit offer. Yeah, I think it's legitimate. I think it's coming from Allison. She has the cards in the greenhouse, right? Um, So I think this is a real offer. And I think it's pretty apparent that it's good because Rhaenyra is seriously considering it. And I think that shows what a good queen she would be. Because she's considering, like, yeah, this offer, would be good for the realm, right? The offer to get into specifics is that Rhaenyra would keep Dragonstone. She gets to be the Lady of Dragonstone. Luke will inherit Driftmark after Corliss dies. They'll recognize him as a trueborn heir. And all the other kids that don't stand to inherit anything else will get influential positions in court as, like, cupbearers to the kings or squires and that kind of thing. And all they got to do is bend the knee to Aegon. This is a really generous offer. This is as good as they can hope for, really. 
Damon has no interest at all. He's like, I'd rather feed my kids to the dragon than see them bear cups and shields for your drunken cunt of a king or whatever he says. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, man. <laughs> Rhaenyra calls him back, though. She's kind of swayed by seeing this uh, page from the history book that we saw in the first couple episodes when Rhaenyra tore this page out about what's her name? <laughs> I'm having a brain fart again. Nymeria. <laughs> yeah, Nymeria and her thousand ships. So this this is the page from when they were hanging out underneath the weirwood tree and she remembers it and kept it all these 20 years later and it, it definitely has an impact on Rhaenyra. So she wants to consider these terms. And I think it's also worth noting, you may not have even picked this up because they look identical, of course, but uh, we have Eric and Arik facing off on opposite sides of this confrontation here. The Cargill twins are on opposite sides of this uh, you know, conflict. I didn't notice that. Brother against brother. What would you do if we ended up on different sides of a war, bro? I would quit fighting. Yeah, me too. And hug <laughs> you about it. Oh. Maybe we could go play Settlers of Catan or something. Yeah, it sounds like a good time to me. I don't <laughs> think it's going to go quite like that for <laughs> these two, though. <laughs> Nobody gets a happy ending, except for Lanor. <laughs> So Rhaenyra is considering these terms. Uh, she sees that her duty is to protect the realm, not to burn it down, just to make sure her claim is justified. And we get this thing where Damon freaks out about the Song of Ice and Fire. He's like, Viserys was fucking dumb for thinking about these prophecies and visions all the time. Chokes the shit out of Rhaenyra, man. Yeah. Not, not just like not a little grab her by way. the neck. Yeah. I mean, he chokes the shit out of her. <laughs> this was violent. Damon's like not a nice guy. I mean, this was not surprising to me, really. I'm sure it was surprising to some people out there who have been fangirling about Damon. But this is him, man. He's just as much of a bad guy as he is a good guy. You got to take them both together if you want to be on the Damon train. Right. <laughs> I was blown away by this. I don't know. I did not see it coming. And I've not I've never been on the Damon train. Like I know he's a jerk, but this was like I guess I was about to say like murdering <laughs> your wife, but he totally does that earlier. <laughs> yeah, he definitely beat his last <laughs> wife's head in with a rock, so choking this one is not really surprising. Okay, never mind. I stay corrected. <laughs> <laughs> so Corliss comes to Dragonstone and he gets in on the Black Council. And with a little convincing from Rhaenys, of course, he joins up and swears to Rhaenyra. He kind of wanted to just chill for a while. He was like, what if we don't swear for anybody and we just chill on Driftmark and hang out with our grandkids? And Rhaenys is like, it's too late for that, man. Our grandkids are heirs to the throne now. Aegon's going to come for them no matter what. Well, it also seems like her grandkids are pretty committed to the Black's cause already. Yeah, they're and, like right in it. And then we see that Rainey's has been swayed by Rhaenyra's leadership here. Yeah. She sees Rhaenyra as the only one that's trying to maintain peace. Everybody's clamoring for war and Rhaenyra's keeping a cool head under pressure. So she tells Corliss how it is and says that we, we support the Black's. So Chorus goes for it. He's full on supporting Rhaenyra at this point. He's like, yeah, we get the 
Valarian fleet and we get Rainies on Dragonback and we can seal off King's Landing from any kind of sea trade whatsoever and it'll be way easier to beat them into submission if they can't trade by ocean. And this would be a huge blow to King's Landing. Like, yeah, there's still, like, the rest of the continent. Like, it's not an island, but almost all of the trade that comes through King's Landing comes through the Blackwater Bay. Yeah. So it'd be pretty difficult for them to subsidize that. They'd be they'd Especially be if they get Harrenhal, too, because then they can block off the King's Road. And with and their superior get... number of dragons, they're probably going to be able to, like, torch any wagon trains coming in from the Reach or something. So this is a big deal. This is It's starting to look good. Yeah, they're, they're, team still, black. they're still outnumbered, but they have a, maybe a strategic advantage with this plan. But they still need to lock down some extra allies. So if things don't go well, they're not totally screwed. Do you think we'll get a scene where one guy on a ship sh- kills three dragons? <laughs> they better hope the blacks can get somebody like that if they want to take on Vagar. <laughs> So, so yeah, I think this is the part where we uh, Jace volunteers to to fly instead of sending ravens. He says the dragons are faster and they mean more when they get there. Yeah, it's always more impressive to see a dragon when you're trying to decide which side to fight for. But they messed up and send a baby dragon. <laughs> So Jace is going to go to the Vale in the north, and he just kind of heads off, and we don't see him again. But Luke is going to go to Storm's End and deal with Boros Baratheon. And Rhaenyra, I think, is like definitely setting her kids up for failure here because she gives them like nothing to barter with. Yeah, she's like, just go tell them to bend the knee. Meanwhile, the Greens are offering vassals and land and marriage. Yeah. So they're kind of, she's setting them up for failure here. So she has I mean, them swear on the Bible, basically, the seven-pointed star. Luke gets laughed at by Baratheon. <laughs> it's like not even something he considers. He's like, fuck you, kid. Yeah. So she has them swear on the seven-pointed star that they're not going to fight anybody on purpose. They're there as emissaries, as messengers, and they need to avoid violence at all costs. So they fly off, and the weather's getting shitty, but Luke flies in to Storm's End here. And as soon as he lands, we see Vagar just, like, the size of the whole fucking castle, like, off in the distance. This was such a cool shot. He really should have just, like, turned around as soon as he saw that dragon, dude. I thought the same thing. I was like, why wouldn't you just ride the fuck out of there when you saw that? You're in over your head, kid. (laughs) So I I guess all this, it's important to remember that guest right in Westeros is this, like, really big deal, right? Everybody knows that when you're under somebody else's roof that you're guaranteed protection. So he's working under these pretenses. That was Nugget, my cat, just uh, wiping his tail onto my guitar there, if you heard that noise in the background. That's hilarious. <laughs> this, I, I love this scene, though, because it gave me, like, Godzilla vibes. Like, I almost wanted to hear the, like... It was very Godzilla, yeah. Uh, Man, Vigor is so fucking terrifying. Uh, that scene was so good. They put that... That was in the teaser trailer from last week, and it gave yeah. me just shivers when I saw it. So Luke heads inside, and of course, Aemond is there, and he's already setting up marriage packs with Boros, and Boros is just like, you ain't got nothing for me, kid. I mean, at least bring me an offer of something. <laughs> I thought it was funny also that Boros couldn't read. Yeah, that's that's a pretty funny character point. 
This whole thing also we should point out as a callback to earlier in the season. If you remember, Rhaenyra was sitting in this very hall with uh, Boros's dad, Borman Baratheon, as all the suitors came before her to kind of pitch their themselves as potential kings. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. So if things don't go well, uh, Boros is not interested in making a deal for nothing. So he sends Luke on his way. But before he can make it out the door, Aemon is like, hey, kid, Lord Strong, get back here. You owe me an eye. <laughs> he pulls off his eye patch and shows the, the sapphire. sapphire eye yeah. that he's known for in the legends. That was cool that they went all out with that. Yeah, I wasn't sure if they would show it or not because it's kind of piratey or something, but it is cool, so I'm glad they did it. <laughs> yeah, like I could see how people could think that's corny, but I liked it. It's from the books. It was fun to see as a fan. Yeah. So Luke, of course, cut his eye out when they were kids, and now Amon is de- demanding an eye for an eye, getting biblical on him. Boros won't let it happen in his house, though. He's like, get the fuck out of here. And if you're going to fuck each other up, do it outside. <laughs> so I think we see later that Eamon is just kind of fucking with him. I think he really does want to cut his eye out. I don't think he wants to kill him, though. Okay. But yeah, so Luke goes outside, has a little chit chat with his dragon. He's like, please listen to me. Please be good. You need to you need to follow instructions. They take off into this storm. The whole time I'm thinking, like, there's gotta be like a wind limit for what you can fly a dragon in, right? Like Yeah, I would imagine so. They are pretty big though. Not Arax, I guess, which is why Vagar has the advantage of flying in this storm because like normally Vag or sorry, Arax would be a lot more mobile and fast and maneuverable than Vagar is. But in the middle of the storm with the strong winds blowing around, a lot of that advantage is lost because Arax can get blown around so much more than Vagar, who's like twenty times the size. Okay, I guess that makes sense. So Vagar unfortunately catches up with Arax and Luke and despite they're like kind of losing control of their dragons at this point while they're chasing each other through the storm so we see them struggle with that a couple times I think uh, they were just like hyped up man I guess because the dragon riders were hyped up themselves you know Aemon has like this bloodlust kind of and Jace is or sorry Luke is terrified and running for his life so with that emotional bond between the dragons and the riders, the dragons are also keyed up as fuck and running on like pure adrenaline. Probably they're freaking out, doing crazy shit. Man, for for a second, you think Luke makes it out of there. He finds a little hiding spot or something, but then uh, his dragon Arax, yeah, Arax yeah. shoots out of this little cave or whatever and uh, hits Vagar with some fire, and both. Both princes are like, no, like, don't do it. <laughs> and then Arax flies up above the storm and they're in this like peaceful calm area and you get, you get a moment to catch your breath. But then Vagar just comes up and fucking demolishes both of them, man. It was so brutal. Yeah. It just chomps them, huh? And then just like pieces of dragon and I couldn't see any pieces of Luke, thankfully, I guess. But <laughs> I'm sure there were some in there somewhere. Yeah, there had to be, right? <laughs> Man, that was hard to watch. 
I meant to go back and like scene by like frame by frame that shot of the body parts falling. I wanted to see how chewed up. Uh... <laughs> Eamon like is totally petrified by this, which was a change from the books. Like it seems like he did it like on purpose, cold hearted in the books. And I, this is a little bit more subtle. I like it better. Yeah, I, I definitely think this is a change from the books. I don't. I didn't get the vibe that Eamon felt bad about this at all. But here it's obvious that he has miscalculated that this has gone further than he wanted it to. Yeah, he's probably shitting his pants thinking about what he's going to tell his mom when he gets back to King's Landing. Right. Hey, uh, I mean, I know you were trying to not be at war, but we like definitely are now. Yeah, exactly. He really has taken the the choice from both ruling families like it's on now. There's no coming back from this. And this is just like the unfortunate consequence of putting these super deadly weapons of mass destruction in the hands of teenage boys. I mean, children. Yeah. They just don't know how far is too far. So obviously they go too far. I think she says Lucas 14 in the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Eamon is like 20, I think. So not really a teenager, but pretty much a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Man. So tragic. And then the episode ends with Rhaenyra finding out. I'm unclear how she would find out, really. I guess people saw the fight up in the sky. In the book, uh, the people at Storm's End can see everything happening. But I would assume something similar happened, you know? Yeah, so she kind of gives this powerful look into the camera. And you can see on her face that war is about to fall on Westeros. Yeah, she's about to remind everybody why her house words are fire and blood. Yeah, baby. It reminded me a lot of a couple of looks we got from Danny in season eight. Yeah, I've noticed some kind of tie-ins there, too, that I don't hate. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that. What was so, the yeah, other that's, one? That's pretty uh, much a wrap on season one, huh? Yeah, that's it, man. What would you rate the season overall? Nine out of ten? Is that too high? Maybe. Yeah, eight and a half. I always want to give everything an eight and a half. Maybe my ratings are broken. <laughs> <laughs> We're in your head now. Um, eight and a half, nine, somewhere around there, yeah. Like, yeah, I think that's a good number. Uh, there were some really strong themes throughout the whole thing you know lots of good callbacks i thought the dialogue was pretty strong i think the time jumps were the only like major thing and i think there were a couple moments where they had you can tell they definitely went for like spectacle over substance they had a couple things just to have some crazy shit happen that didn't make a lot of sense talking about you feet scene yeah that and to some extent, Rainey's popping up through the floor in episode nine and the knights like needlessly killing each other at the tourney. A lot of that didn't make sense. They, you can tell they just kind of threw it in to have shot some shock value. But it was nothing that really broke anything for me. So still very strong overall. Yeah, I'm going to go 8.7. All right, that's about where I'm at, I guess. And the only thing that I think I'm complaining about is I don't even want to call it a complaint so the one thing that Rings of Power did really well was like the spectacle of it they really let you like sit and love the world that they were building like that shot of um, Storm's End was really nice but I I wish they would have like let that sit a little longer and let us check out Storm's End and I could deal with a little more of like seeing where we are and getting a little more 
perspective. Rings of Power is really proud of their special effects, and I like that. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I hope we do see some more. They hide a lot of stuff here with darkness um <laughs> like single point lighting oh you know what one of the coolest special effects of the whole show so far we didn't talk about is damon singing to the dragon in the caves up on dragonstone yeah dragonstone that's part of his plan i think that's almost definitely vermithor the bronze fury yeah and if it is vermithor that's the second largest dragon in existence so definitely a challenger for vagar what is his plan there, though? Is he gonna ride it? Like, no, you can't have a dragon with more with, or one person cannot ride multiple dragons. It's never right, been seen right. before, so just weird. Yeah, but so I guess that's a great scene to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about. Like that looked awesome, but you're using some like kind of crutches there by just showing like the single torchlight and. You can't see the whole animal, you know, uh, it's dark for the rest of it. Like you're only getting like a mouth kind of like, yeah. show me the whole thing and make it look awesome. I agree. The show definitely has a big budget it's not as big as Lord of the Rings, but it's big. I did appreciate that the final Vagar chomp was in broad daylight. We got to see that. Yeah, that was cool. I don't I have any complaints at all. Hide it the, in special, the, the special effects in that whole uh, sequence, they were pretty awesome. I guess that's where they saved the whole budget all season four. <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, no kidding. All right. Uh, so next season, of course, the war has begun at this point. We're going to see this conflict really blow up. We'll find out what happened to Jaceris as he goes on his diplomatic mission, I'm sure. And, you know, we'll see what happens. All right. This has been fun. I can't wait till next season. Yeah, we'll be here next season for sure. Uh, in the meantime, if you're a fan of fantasy books, we'll be covering a lot of books in between now and then. We got Stormlight Archive going on. We got the Dark Tower going on. Uh, probably Mistborn Era 2. So, a couple of Discworld books we have coming up. Yeah, lots of stuff going on on the book front. So we encourage you to read more books as always. So thanks for joining us. This has been our coverage of House of the Dragon. I think we'll probably do one more episode, both of House of the Dragon and Rings of Power, just to like wrap up the seasons. So I think we will do that in a couple weeks, though. <laughs> Next thing I think we have scheduled is another Stormlight book. So join us for that if you're into Stormlight. And thanks for joining us. We are the Three Rivers Boys. I'm Zach. I'm Jake. And Steve is with us in spirit. (laughs) Follow us on Twitter at Three Rivers Boys. Thanks, guys. See you around.